God's work. You know, and, uh, when the income tax was came out in the 30s, rich people started corporations. Uh, Donald Trump says, you can't sue me. I don't own anything. My corporation owns everything. And my corporation don't pay taxes. I pay taxes, so my corporation makes money. Um, there's just simple little things that you learn. Uh, everything from cooking to cleaning to whatever. So, church is, you're supposed to be teaching all the time, trying to learn something new. So, um, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to give you this. This is called uh, 100 Years Ago, Now and Then. Uh, for pretty much 5,000 years, nothing changed. Nothing changed. 100 years ago, everything changed. You've got to think about that when you're reading the Bible or history books. So, I'll give you this. Uh, 100 years ago, actually this is uh, a little over 100 years ago, this is 1906. In the United States of America, 1906, average lifespan was 47. If you lived to be 48 100 years ago in the United States, you were old. Today, the average lifespan is 78. We've almost doubled in 100 years what it took 5,000 years to do. In the last days, it's, there's an exponential curve we have hit. You've got to just understand it. God's word is the concrete under us, but life has changed. 100 years ago, only 14% of the American homes had a bathtub and only 8% had a telephone. Uh, you know, most of us bathed in the creek or in the pond. There's no bathtub. Only 8% had a telephone. I remember the phone in my grandfather's house in Suit, North Carolina. It was the hand crank thing on the wall. It worked 8% of the time. Uh, it was a four-party line. You picked it up, somebody's probably already talking on it. Today, everybody's got a cell phone. Got more than one cell phone. It just changed. There are only 8,000 automobiles in the entire United States 100 years ago. In the entire country, there were 8,000 total automobiles. Uh, the average speed limit in America was 10 miles an hour. There were no speed traps. Somebody driving too fast, you lace the tennis shoes up and you chase them down. <laughs> Every, everything, everything just changed. Uh, average wage, uh, 1906, was 22 cents an hour. An hour, 22 cents an hour. That was the average wage. Uh, today, that's way below the poverty level today. 95% uh, of all births took place at home. There was no hospital to go to. You had a baby, you went to the bedroom, you laid down, and some midwife delivered it or your husband delivered it. Uh, you know, we've had six babies, all of them at the hospital. I'm not delivering any of them. You go down, he, he's trained to deliver. You push, he'll deliver. I'll watch, take pictures, and it'll be great. It's going to be real good. 90% of all doctors had no college education. If he was a doctor, he delivered, he delivered cows, calves, dogs, and people. Uh, you know, he probably didn't wash his hands when he did any of the above. That's why a lot of the disease came from that. Sugar costs four cents a pound. Eggs are 14 cents a dozen. Just 100 years ago. You, you, you know how radical things have got. Women wash their hair once a month. They use borax, egg yolks, and it's their shampoo. So if a woman had washed her hair, you could smell her half a mile away. Like, My Lord, that woman just washed her hair. Borax had a real smell. Canada passed a law in 1906 prohibiting poor people from coming to their country. Canada is a foreign country, in case you don't know that. And they don't like us, by the way, for reasons, most of them legitimate. But Canada is a foreign country. Every time I go, uh, I can get into Europe much easier. I can get into South Africa much easier than I can get into Canada. Uh, they're going to they're gonna work me over. They're going to look at everything I got, what I'm bringing in. Uh, I'm going to have to go through security even with my wife last time. Uh, they're looking at our product. What is this? What is this? I said, well, I, what, what do you, what's your business here? I said, well, I, I'm coming to do a seminar. On what? I said, marriage. I do seminars on marriage and family. And here's what the lady said. Are you saying there's no Canadians that can teach on this? I thought she was being funny. I said, well, guess not. They invited me. 
And she didn't laugh. I thought, oh, dear God, she was serious. So they made me wait another hour and a half, went through everything I had, all my clothes and everything. You thought I was going into the Soviet Union. And it's like, what is it? Well, they don't like us. You know, well. And again, they made a law because Vietnam War, everybody running across them. They don't want you up there. We don't want you. <laughs> all right. That's why you're not growing any. Bless your heart. Anyhow. So uh, I like this. The three leading causes of death 100 years ago, number one was pneumonia. Number two was tuberculosis. And the number three cause of death 100 years ago in America was diarrhea. There was no Pepto-Bismol. What are we going to do? Well, they're out there in our house. They're not coming back. Why? Disease. We didn't wash nothing clean enough. And if your immune system wasn't already built up, you're in trouble. You, I mean, nobody washed their hands. This is an amazing thing. There was no Mother's Day, no Father's Day. The population of Las Vegas was 30. Now, what were they doing there? Well, <laughs> they were on their way to California, and their mule died across. Halfway across the desert. That's why they were there. What are you doing here in the middle of the desert? My mule died. All right. Uh, only 6% of Americans had graduated from high school, and there were a total of 230 murders in 1906 in the entire country. Now, they didn't count everything, but you're trying to understand. Now, the reason I'm reading that is life is changing like a freight train. In the last days, we were running out gear, walking out faint. There's nothing about sitting down. You know, it's just it's busy. I mean, this, nobody goes to sleep. Nobody turns the lights off. They won't shut the TV off. They got the cell phone on. They got the radio on. Somebody get quiet. God said, be still and know that I'm God. People said, well, I can't hear the voice of God. It's because you're talking too much. You won't get quiet. You don't know what it's like to be still. You start getting quiet and still. People get nervous. Well, somebody say something. You know, somebody do something. You, know, you ever had the power go off at the house? Man, it'll throw everybody into a complete frantic in 15 minutes. My God, we got to do something. Why? Why just stay here for a while? No, get up, you know. So you put two of those people in a marriage, and boy, you're going to have a challenge. Because again, I'm going to tell you something. Marriage is a God creation, two people better than one to solve problems. God, what you give me a spouse for? Fix hell. I want you all to go fix hell. I've gifted you. Everyone's gifted different, talented different. We all have different gifts and abilities. That's why the Bible says that I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I need you, and you need me. We need each other. So you get married, you need your spouse. You get I would take my seniors to divorce court every year when I was a school administrator. Now, I'd get permission from the parents, but one day a year, we'd load them up on the bus, and uh, we would go first to the county jail, and we'd take a tour through the county jail. And it's four stories, and it's not a pretty place, and it's got a odor about it. Like, and of course, we're walking through because there's sales on both sides. I said, now, you'll notice as we're walking through today, don't be snickering or laughing. You might see these people again someday. Don't make anybody mad. <laughs> Uh, these are people who are arrested for showing off, doing stuff like you do, still stop signs and yield signs and snort some dope, and peel your tires out. Uh, eventually you get caught. Your sins will find you out, and this is where you come. You don't eat craft macaroni and cheese. You eat generic macaroni and cheese. The toilet is stainless steel. It has no lid, and it sits in the middle of the floor. There's four of you in there, so I hope you can have a bowel move with somebody looking at you because if not, you're going to be constipated for three months. I want you to see and smell where people go because you think it's funny to get in trouble. Push the envelope. Let me show you where people who push the envelope go. Well, that's the first half day. The second half, we went down to divorce court in Tulsa. If you go to Tulsa uh, Courthouse, they have a balcony. You can go where they have in court. So you can sit in the balcony. You can't talk. They're real strict. And so what are we going to go do today? We're going to divorce court. We're going to watch two people who at one time before God and witnesses swore their undying love to one another, and you're going to hear what they have to say today. 
Today you're going to hear every foul, nasty, damnable four-letter word you have ever heard used in the most creative ways between two people who at one time swore their undying love to one another. What happened? Hell. If you don't keep hell out, it will run you over and stomp you into the dirt. The devil hates marriage. The devil hates humans, but he really hates marriage. Why? Because if two people can get in agreement, God will do ten times more with two people are praying than one person. It is a threat to his kingdom. Mark 4 says when the word of God comes, the devil comes immediately. I was doing the funeral for my Aunt Nesbitt <laughs> last year. And uh, my uncle, I love my uncle. He's a heathen, but I love him. We're talking to him, witnessed him all the time. So we're finished the funeral. We're walking out the hallway to the hearse to go to the graveside service. And so he, he, he has no tact. So we're walking out, and people are crying. He said, he said hey, Joe Allen. He said, so you believe there's a devil, huh? And he just comes out of nowhere with stuff. I said, what? And we're walking out the back door to the hearse. He said, you believe there's a devil? Yeah, there's, there's a devil. You know, really? He said, yeah. That's how you scare people in the church. You know, there's no devil. Oh, no, there's a real devil. No, there's not. I said, and so I stopped. Now, I've just preached the funeral. I said, here. I said, here, read something. What? Now, people are going by. We're in the hallway. The white hearse is right out that door. Say, read something. What? I don't care what. Here, it's uh, Isaiah 48. Read something. Why? Well, the Bible says when you read the word of God, the devil comes immediately. And since you don't believe he's around, read something, he'll show up. He said, close that up. Oh, no, 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 close it. Come on, let's go. We got to read something. He, he didn't talk to me at the graveside service. <laughs> we're in a world where uh, we were supposed to train our children the minute they were weaned from their mothers. About what? About God. You know, um, I believe I can do this. Uh, we were sharing, Pastor. Um, Jewish Americans make up 2% of the population in the United States. 2%. Jewish. Orthodox Jewish. The real deal. Yet they account for one-third of all multimillionaires. They account for 25% of all doctors in America. Why? Because they're trained different as children. Uh, they have a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, when they turn 13 to become an adult. You're an adult. We're going to have a party. You're going to come down here. We're going to rent out a hotel. I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Back in February doing a seminar, and that Saturday morning, Rabbi's there. He's bringing the boy in. They're going up to room. He's going to pretty much quote most of the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what you have to do. You have to have it memorized, not read it. Have it memorized. And so the rabbi's going to, he's going to grill him up there, and he's going to quote a lot, if not most, of the Old Testament Saturday morning to about noon. That evening, the family's coming. They are decked out. I mean, it is a very formal event. Women are in their best dresses, best hats. I mean, but it is a catered meal. They're going to have a catered orchestra down there. They're going to dance. and They're going to sit that kid in the chair with his beanie cap on, and they're going to dance him all over the room celebrating that today he became a man at 13. The whole family's going to show. We celebrate. He became a man today. If you're not Jewish, you're 13. You're a doofus. Go to your room. Shut the door. Get out of my face. I'll be glad you leave home. And we wonder why we bred and produced a group of rebellious people. They don't know who they are. They're trying to prove they're somebody. That's why I'll join a gang. I'll dress weird. We, I'm trying to find my worth, and I don't know how. So I'm going to use my flesh if my soul is ignorant. So just out 13, he's an adult. He becomes a mature adult at age 30. And so if, uh, if you study the Jewish culture, you know, if you... I've been to the NCAA Football Hall of Fame in South Bend, Indiana. I've been to the NFL Hall of Fame, the NBA Hall of Fame. You see no Jewish names. But they're not there. When I was playing sports, they were reading books. 
The reason is if you're Jewish, you realize something. Everybody on this planet hates your guts. Nobody likes a Jew. I grew up my whole life. Never met a Jew until I was in the army. You know, who? Nobody said, hey, I want you to meet my Jewish friends. I've never heard the word Jew or Jewish without filthy, stinking rich in front of it. Who's that? That's a filthy, stinking rich Jew. Who lives there? Bunch of filthy, stinking rich Jews. Who owns that apartment? Bunch of filthy, I never heard filthy, stinking rich Baptists, filthy, stinking rich Methodists, filthy, stinking rich Pentecost. But man, all the Jews are filthy, stinking rich. And so I was sharing with the pastor, I have lunch with a Messianic Jewish man every December up in New York. We've got to know each other really well over the last 20 years and up. He believes in Jesus, but he's still very deep in his culture. I said, how come you people have more money? He said, what? How come you people have more money? Now, I felt I had the liberty to ask. I said, that's why nobody likes you people. You're all filthy, stinking rich. And he said, we don't have more money. We just keep more money. Most of us were born poor, came here as immigrants, Joe. I said, well, that's not what everybody thinks about you. And he said, how many holidays do you celebrate as a Christian boy in America that have some sort of religious connotation? I said, I don't know. He said, seven. Christmas, Easter, New Year's, Thanksgiving, all with some sort of religious connotation. I said, yeah, I guess you're right. He said, well, I celebrate seven holidays as a Jewish boy in America. All a reminder pretty much that nobody likes us. So, Dad, what are we celebrating? Passover? What's that about? They almost killed us off. <laughs> Bad holiday. Let's get to the next one. What are we celebrating this month, Dad? Purim? What's that about? Esther? What's that about? They almost killed us off. Every holiday you celebrate as a Jewish child is a reminder, nobody likes you. When Jews landed at Ellis Island, you look through the history of America, they were beat with cane poles and they were called Christ killers and shoved back into the water. Nobody likes a Jew. You know, I don't care what you think about race today. You know, everybody, nobody likes anything different. We all belong to God. Nobody will read that. You know, we're trying. It's because when you're weak, you'll attack something else. Matter of fact, Romans 2 1 says, Be careful when you judge somebody else, or when you judge somebody else, you condemn yourself, or it takes one to know one. I will attack in you what I'm weak at. And we do this in marriage counseling. I tell husband and wives, you know what you're yammering about against your wife? What you stink at. You do it as a defense mechanism. I will attack in you what I'm not good at to protect me. So whatever I'm verbally vicious about is my weakness. It's a neon sign over my head. This is what I'm stupid at. What I'm attacking in you is what I stink at. I'm doing it to protect me. I'm going after you to cover myself. Romans 2.1. That's a whole seminar just in that. And so what we realize is, like, we've got to find out who we are and what we're doing. Again, marriage is just a great, great deal because somebody loves you enough to tell you the truth. Like I said, my, my wife is a gift from God to reveal character flaws in my life. Because uh, you need someone loves you enough to tell you when you're stupid. You're stupid. Well, I appreciate that. Nobody's ever loved me enough to tell me that. My God, that's incredible. Come here, hug my neck. Now, then I'm going to give you this. Now, just listen. I'm just going to read a few of these here. This is all carnal. Uh, this is not thus saith the Lord. This is in your public library. And it's a long list. I'm just going to give you about the one-minute version. Boys like things. Girls like people. Boys compete. Girls cooperate. Women value relationships. Men value work. You have two men talking about something. They're talking about what they did, where they've been, what they shot, what they killed. Men talk about their past. Women talk about their future. Uh, I went over where the number one need of all men is honor. Number one need of all women is security. Honor's in my past. Security's in my future. My wife doesn't care what I made yesterday. She wants to know what I'm going to make tomorrow. She doesn't care what I fixed yesterday. What am I going to fix tomorrow? When two people get married, two worlds have collided. 
my wife, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for the college? How are we going to get their wedding? How are we going to fix that transmission? Let me tell you what I did. Man, I shot that deer and I fixed that thing and I paid that bill. I'm living in my past. So what happens, what makes a man mad is when a woman's trying to take him into the future. I have no honor in the future. I've not been there. I don't have a leather jacket. I don't have a deer head on the wall. I've not been to my future. Why would I go there? There's no honor in my future. I've not been there. I'm not going to go there unless I believe in the Word of God. It's my job to lead and go there. Only a Christian understands that. Same thing with a woman. You keep talking about the future. If you don't honor him, he will sit down on you. He won't talk to you. He'll be looking for some other lady somewhere. If you don't honor him... He doesn't deserve honor. Well, then call those things to be not as though they are. Start saying something over. I like this. Men are lunch chasers. Women are nest defenders. If there were cavemen, it does not bother my theology one bit. Caveman gets up in the morning. Now, this is according to National Geographic. I wasn't there, but evidently somebody was two million years ago, and they made a film about it. <laughs> caveman gets up in the morning, grabs his club, walks out of the jungle. Where's he going? He's going to spend all day beating some mastodon to death. Cave women didn't go. Cave women stayed by the cave, kept the cave clean, uh, <laughs> changed cave kids' diapers, built the cave fire, waited on the cave man. Cave men come home in the evening, half dead, dragging that mastodon, drop that thing next to the fire, and he'd look at the cave woman, he'd go, Ugh, that's cave tougher. Skin this thing and cook it, woman. <laughs> and the cave man would, cave man would sit down and plop down next to the fire, and he'd just stare in the fire. Men love, you ever build a fire with men? They won't say two words. They'll all stare at it. You put 12 women around the fire, they're going to gum flap each other to death. They're all going to talk. Caveman's going to stand in that fire. Cave woman would get up, put the cave blanket around him, get that cave food cooked, get his cave belly filled. He didn't have to take care of the cave kids or do anything. She wants him to go to sleep. Why? Because come sun up, he's got to get back out in the jungle and do that same thing again. Everywhere except in Western civilization, most marriages last a long time. Men appreciate the women. Women appreciate the men. Men can't do what the women do. Women can't do what the men can do. They appreciate one another. Only in Western civilization have we confused what the roles are. Matter of fact, we're confused. We don't know if men are men or men are women. We don't know. When you leave the Word of God, absolute chaos will set in. Now, I, people always ask me about this because they're not sure what I'm talking about. Now, i got five daughters. Uh, I made sure, I was sharing lunch, I made sure all my kids went to college. And people said, why? Because we came out of dire poverty. I was born in a log cabin in Turtletown, Tennessee. That house was out back on two railroad ties sitting over the creek. It was a two-seater. I never could figure out why we had a two-seater outhouse. Were you supposed to take a friend? Or you did you sit on one hole and stare down the other? I'm not sure the purpose of a two-seater outhouse. But it was running water, which is why Grandpa said, Son, if you ever get a drink out of the creek, drink upstream, not down. Uh, we did not own a car until I was seven years old. We rode a bus everywhere we went. Uh, when I say poverty, I'm not making anything up. We were poor, poor. And so we lived in a rent house all the way through my senior in high school, 900-square-foot house I grew up in. Uh, we, we had nothing. Uh, Dad worked hard, but, you know, he didn't know anything, so he didn't get paid anything. So I thought when we got married, my kids were going to go to college. I'm tired of ignorant people, you know. So I told my kids, I don't care what you get a degree in. I don't care if you get a degree in basket weaving and water boiling. Because a degree basically tells you something. A degree tells you there's a lot of stuff you don't know. What did you learn in college? I learned there's a lot I don't know. 
And it just sort of keeps you from getting arrogant. So Peter said, you believe in it? I only believe in it because it teaches you there's a lot you don't know. So don't leave home arrogant. You're going to spend the rest of your life learning something. Every day is going to be a learning experience. And my wife is not the same woman I married 41 years ago. She's changed, thank God. I've changed. We're not the same people that we were when we got married. We've grown. We've matured. What's important to us today was not important to us 41 years ago. You understand? You grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a marriage, you're never going to get it fixed where it just stays happy. We just want to be happy. Well, you're probably not going to be. You know, you've got to learn what this is and how you make this happen. So let me give you this one. I like how this goes right here. Uh, a woman knows her children's friends, their children's hopes, their dreams, their romances, their fears, and what they're thinking. Men are vaguely aware that there's some short people living in the house. <laughs> women have two X chromosomes, which gives them a better variety of color than men. Uh, women have peripheral vision. Uh, a woman can see side to side. That's why four times more men are broadsided in a car accident than women. Because men have long-range narrow. That's why when a man's driving the car and the woman's sitting next to him, she will tear that dashboard up. Look out! Watch out! Why is she going to hear that? Shut up, woman! I, ain't, I didn't get close to it because he couldn't see it. Four times more women are either rear-ended or rearing somebody else because women don't have depth perception. That's why men are much better night drivers than women are. We're not better really. We're just different. God made us different. I think God gave women 180 degree peripheral vision because they want to know where the kids are at all times. Men don't care as long as they're not in front of us. We don't care. They're not right here. <laughs> Anyhow, this is why men accuse women of hiding things from them all the time. Where's my keys? Where'd you put my billfold? Where's my socks? If it's not right in front, he can't see it. That's why a woman can open the refrigerator, see everything with one shot. You put the butter behind something, the man, he can't see it because he only sees what's right. There's no butter. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. Anyhow, for every man who can sing in tune, there are eight women who can sing in tune. That's why church choirs are packed full of women and not men, not because men are wimpy. It's because they can't carry a tune and you don't want them up there. <laughs> women hear five tones. Men only hear three. They'll tell you this if you ever serve jury duty. Watch how you talk, how you listen. Women hear five tones, men only hear three. That's why you will never hear a man say, but you will hear a woman say, don't use that tone of voice in me. And a man's like, what tone? He didn't hear it because he can't, he can't hear tones. He can't hear voice inflection. He's just very monotone. A woman's skin is ten times more sensitive to touch than a man's skin. That's why you have to warn your teenagers. You ever see people out on a date? It's the woman hanging off the man, not the man hanging off the woman. That's why little girls love baby dolls and kitty cabots and bunny. Women feel good touching. It's not sexual, and that can lead that if you mess with them. They, it feels good to touch and hug. Men don't want to touch nothing. What? 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 What do you want? Unless sex is involved, he has no clue. Dear God, woman. And so when you're a teenager, and I tell the girls, you go hanging off him, he thinks, my God, this woman wants to do it now. She's all over me. No, it has nothing to do with sex. It's a hormone. She's built different than you are. And so because we don't understand it, we read the wrong things into it. Women are mostly, uh, when a man, woman gets mad at you, she's going to cut you off. Uh, she'll say something like, Denise has done it. A woman gets mad, she'll say, don't touch me. And the man's like, dear God, don't worry, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to stay in the room with you. You're crazy. Because a woman thinks she's punishing you by not letting you touch. Because touch is so important to her, she'll think, don't touch her. Forget it. I, don't bother me a bit. I wouldn't touch it all anyhow. 
Now look at this. Male brain is configured to concentrate on one task at a time. A woman can talk about three or four things, do three or four things at a time. Take a brain scan. When a man is sleeping, you'll find he is 70% deaf. That's why women will say the house could burn down and he would never know it because he won't. Your job is to smell the smoke, wake him up, he'll put out the fire. Because when a man's in his deepest sleep, American Medical Association, when a man's in his deepest sleep, 70% of his brain shuts down. He didn't hear the baby cry. He didn't hear the alarm going off. He didn't hear noise. What was that? Whoa, what is it? I didn't hear nothing. He's deaf. When a woman's in her deepest sleep, 95% of her brain is fully active. What was that? Whoa, what is it? Here God, woman, go to sleep. God made us different. We're not better. We're not smarter. We're not dumber. We're different. And somebody should have taught us this in the ninth grade before we ever started dating. I'm about to date somebody from another planet. They think different, feel different, see different, plan different. Everything about them is totally opposite. I'll go back and say what I said before lunch. When two people are just alike, one of you is not needed. God didn't make two atoms. He already had one that needed help. He made something totally complete. When he took that rib out, he made something different. Yet in all counseling, in all pro, well, I don't understand them. Well, they're just stupid. I don't know why they think that way. Because they're different than you. It's a different human. Our job is to reach out to people that are different than us. But we don't. We want everybody just like this. They're not, no, that's, that's a tower of Babylon bricks. We're trying to make all humans the same. I like this one. A woman used three times more words during an average day than a man will. <laughs> Primary way a woman gets problems out of her life is by talking. So you come home, you sit down for dinner. If you have dinner, nobody has dinner anymore. But if you sit down for dinner, <laughs> I've been there before, and I said, Denise, pass the butter. And I said, honey, pass me the butter. And she'll talk for 30 minutes. Honey, pass the butter. Here God, woman, I just wanted the butter. Shut up. I just please just shut up and pass the butter. When a woman's trying to problem solve, the only way she can do it, according to the American Medical Association, she has to get it out in the air. She talks out loud. When a woman's getting ready to start her day, well, today I'm gonna have to do this and this, and I need to go over here and buy this, I'm gonna go do that. I gotta drop that off, pick that up, and it's like, well, oh, shut up, woman, just go do it. Dear God. Men don't talk it, they just make a list. They're performance oriented. So most men will have a list. They don't tell you. My husband just disappeared Saturday morning. I don't know where he went. But he had a list. He's performance-oriented. That's why when we're talking, we're very different. So if men don't learn to listen, ask questions, you're going to get shocked. You're going to get surprised. i give you this one. Uh, 90% of all women have spatial limitations. That's why they have trouble reading maps and parallel parking, by the way. That's fascinating. Hmm. Men will take turns when they talk. You, ever, you put 12 men in a circle. Let's say we're getting ready to go lunch, and there's four men over here standing getting ready to go. Uh, one's talking, three were listening. That's not because the other three are polite. It's because a man cannot talk and listen at the same time. That's why when he's talking with his spouse, he's upset, he will yell. It's not because he thinks you're deaf. He's trying to override the hearing thing. He can't listen and talk at the same time. You put four women together, and all four will talk and listen simultaneously and not miss a thing. Wasn't that song? And it's like, what in the world? 
Uh, one time there was a, a film in England where they put 50 couples in a room. There were 50 people in there, and they took 50 couples, one couple at a time, put them in there for five minutes and videotaped and see what they'd do, trying to find the difference in men and women. So they don't know anybody's in there. It's just a, and they know this is an experiment. Just go in, mingle for five minutes, come on out, and we're going to write you a check. Well, they went, well, the ladies eventually, most all of them started telling them, hello, what's your name? How are you? And hello, you know, my name's so-and-so. And they don't even know why they're there. They just know they're being filmed. Five minutes, I get out here, I get a check. So well, let's talk. Let's at least visit who's here. Here's what they found out. <laughs> the first thing that all the men did when they got in, the first thing the men did, they started looking for the exits. <laughs> How do you get out of here? The second thing the men did is look for burnout light bulbs. When they left, they taped the conversation because they made them wait in the lobby for five minutes after the five minutes in the room. <laughs> and the lady said, hey, did you meet Bill and Fred over there? Did you get to see, you know, Ann and Jim? Did you meet them? No. Hey, you know they got three burnout light bulbs in there. <laughs> and that's why when you go to a social event, women will get mad at their husbands on the way home because, well, did you not talk to anybody? No, men hate talking to people. Men hate social events. That's why men want to go where there's a scoreboard. Where do you want to go? I don't care as long as there's a scoreboard. Who won? Who lost? By how much? I'm performance-oriented. You go to a social event, how was it? Dear God, I don't know. I've talked to so many people I don't even remember. I have no idea. How did it, I don't know how it went. There was no score because we don't know how to relate. We're not good at that. We have to be trained. Now, look at this right here. I love this right here. Series of IQ tests. In college, I found that about three percent um, have women have three percent more intelligence than men. When it came to solving puzzles, these are college freshmen. Ninety-two percent of the men could solve the puzzles versus eight percent of the women. Men love complicated things, putting together VCR, uh, putting a blender together, putting a bicycle together. Women, well, I just don't know because we don't know what the, the what is it. Are they dumb? No, they think different. Now, listen to this. I'll give you this. These are teachers. This is from the U.S. Census. Biology teachers in the United States, not overseas, biology teachers. In the United States, biology teachers, 49% of men, 51% are women. Business teachers, 50-50, men and women. History teachers, 54% men, 46% women. Geography teachers, 56% men, 44% women. Music teachers, 51% men, 49% women. Social ed, 47% men, 53% women. Classics, 47% men, 53 women. Almost even. Watch this. Spatial skills get involved. Flight engineers. In the United States, 100% of all flight engineers in America are men, not women. Mm, interesting. Engineers, engineers, 99.2% of all engineers in the United States are males, not females. Race car drivers, 99.8% of all race car drivers in America are men, not women. Nuclear engineers, 98.3% of all nuclear engineers in America are males, not females. Pilots, 99.2% of all airline pilots in America are men, not women. Now, I'm not trying to mess with them. I'm trying to show you something that is so blatant, but we don't see it. God made us different, not better. When I flew up here yesterday, I flew on a really nice American Airlines. When I got out, my pilot was a female. It makes me feel really good because when only men can fly, it took two of them to do it. I'm making that up. Because I know a woman's using both sides of her brain, has better manual dexterity, and got a better vocabulary. I feel much safer when a female's flying that jet. She's smarter. That's how she got that job. But the spatial skill's not a natural thing. So if they're there, you, you're concerned about a woman pilot? Thank God I'm going to sleep good. 
Because you know the one plane, well, I hate to bring it up, it's tragedy. Two pilots fell asleep, flew off into nowhere. Why? Performance-oriented. I worked. I took off. I'm going to take a nap. Women don't take a nap. They'll step on out with a sick baby. God made women different. Seventy percent of the people that crossed the Oregon Trail to settle the West Coast were females, not males. Men would turn back. Performance went too hard, too cold, too dangerous. That's why the Bible says the Bible warns you about a she-bear, not a he-bear. You go walking through the woods, two he-bears meet. Again, that's geography. Two he-bears meet in the woods, they're going to stand up. They're not going to attack. They're just going to out-growl each other. Performance away. Can I out-growl you? And what they're doing, they're sizing each other up while they're doing it. What he's thinking is, can I whip this bear? I don't think so. And eventually one of those males will drop and walk off 90% of the time. But they say if a male bear runs into a she-bear, she will charge him immediately. And claw his eyeballs out or die trying. You know why? Cubs. Not performance. Survival. I'll kill you to survive. You can just think about the news lately on that. What's she doing? Surviving. He was supposed to cover that. If he doesn't, you're going to unleash a she-bear from hell. God made us different. Our desires, our wants, and our needs. When God put a woman and men together, he said, Your jobs take your strength. Meet their weakness. Your job is to take your strength. Meet their weakness. Not attack each other's weakness. Cover each other's weakness. Not make fun of each other's weakness. Cover each other's weakness. But man, our mouth gets the, you're an idiot. You're done. Well, go ahead. Strike a match. Invite demons from hell. Because your mouth just unleashed. It's going to get ugly. Now, I'll give you this right here. I like this right here. Um, oh, goodness. Men define themselves by their work. Women define themselves by the relationship. And you get people in a room, first thing that's going to happen is, and I, and I, it was just, I was great, I enjoyed lunch, just visiting. The ladies are all talking about people they know and what the people did and what's going on with the people. Men are talking about things they did, they read, or where they've been. It's the same, I don't care what country you're in. Men are performance, women are relationship. Doesn't make us bad, makes us different. So when I'm talking to Denise, Denise doesn't want to hear how many fish I caught or how big that deer was. All she wants is, did you orphan some baby because you can't eat hamburger meat? <laughs> Relationship-oriented. <laughs> no, but I'd have shot Bambi if you'd have been there. <laughs> Would have kept them together. Okay, for time's sake, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do this very methodical. We'll pick it up in the morning tomorrow night on marriage. Uh... That's the only thing I summarize. When a man and a woman come together, two opposites come together, two total opposites. If you don't learn anything else, what do you do? I married my opposite. But people say it all the time when they come and ask me to marry them. We're so much alike. We're so much alike. You're ignorant as dirt and dumber than dirt. You're marrying your opposite, but you're blind as a bad. You don't know that yet. But I give it 18 months, you're going to wake up. I don't know what I did. You married your total opposite. Yes, you did. Try to imagine like being at a wedding and the minute you say I do, scales fall from your eyes and revelation comes from heaven. Oh, my God, what have I just done? Made your opposite. <laughs> You're not going to agree on nothing. <laughs> Whoa. Which brings up what I want to kind of close with today, and this is the first thing on marriage. This is the most important of all of them. They're all important, but this I give another, and that's about talking and listening. I'll just say it real simple. If you have to get up and walk out right now, I'll tell you this. If you took your Bible 
and open it up to Proverbs chapter 1 and read Proverb, one proverb a day for 30 days, it will save your life. Underline all the scriptures about the mouth and the tongue. All, all hell people deal with, they brought into their life with their mouth. Every hell you're doing, your mouth brought it in. Life and death, life and death in the power of the tongue. Shut your yeah. Let your yeas be yeas, your nays be nays, for all that's perceived from the evil one. Until you learn to talk and listen, hell's going to descend on you. And you're going to get permission. The Bible says, I thought the angels of God can't run about us. They do. Psalm 91. But my mouth will invite demons from hell and have legal permission to walk right past the angels protecting me. I give demons permission to come past my angels with my mouth. And they can't do a thing. God's angels watch over his word to perform it. If I'm not giving God word to work with, he can't move. God's not a human. He's not moved out of pity. He's moved by faith. Hebrews 11 said, without faith, I don't please God. Without faith, I don't whip the devil. Faith is just simply believing what God said. What God said, he said this. I mean, we've been there. Bad reports from the doctor. Bad diagnosis. I had a daughter diagnosed with spinal meningitis, uh, given a 50-50 chance of living. I was in Sunday school teaching Sunday school. I'm on staff. I pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm baptized. I went to Raymond Bible Training Center. I've been around the prophet of faith. What's happening? My baby's dying. What did you do so wrong? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. Where did I open a door? I realized I didn't open a door. The devil, sometimes he just shows up uninvited. He doesn't need an invitation. So what do you get to do? Believe God. I get to believe God. What's going on? Well, my doctor, who's spirit-filled, he's a missionary in Mongolia today. My doctor, been my doctor for years, delivered three of my babies. Joe, since they know something, she's got a 50-50 chance of living. An hour ago, she was playing in my bed upstairs in my bedroom before I went to church. The niece would always come to the second service because we had three Sunday morning services. I get a call an hour into teaching children about Jesus. My baby's at the local hospital dying. Can't be my baby. My baby's at home playing in the middle of my bed. I got a great baby. She's doing real good, 18 months old. She's sweet as all get out. No, she's at the hospital. They say she's dying. Well, I rushed to the hospital, and it's my baby laying there, unconscious, fever running 104. They got on a cooling blanket, got a tube in her nose and one in her head. Like, what? I, I left her an hour ago playing in my bed. Now she's dying. The devil never plays fair, never gives advance notice. Do you understand that? So what do I get to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. My baby's dying. They say, my baby's dying. My baby can't die, and my mind's just running. I, I, I'm trying to think of a scripture. I can't think of two. You know, your brain's just like, what, what? So all of a sudden, they put us in the waiting room. Said, Joe, we're going to have to run her up to intensive care. said, I'm just telling you, I give her a 50-50 chance of living. It's pretty severe. And what she I never heard of spinal meningitis. I go in, they take a horse syringe, you know, and they put it on your spine, draw the fluid off. Yep, it's advanced spinal meningitis. Like, did she catch it? Did we? I don't even know what it is. All I know is she's dying. We go in a little emergency room, you know, waiting room there. And, of course, it's, it's Sunday morning, so the drunks are all gone. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, they have little prayer partners that come in. It's the old city of faith at Old Roberts. These are retired people who come and pray. Little sweet little white-haired lady. She comes in. It's just Denise and I. She's asking Denise, what's going on? And, uh, I don't know, and I don't care, and shut up, and I don't want to talk to you right now. My baby's dying. I've got to figure out what's going on. I gotta, I'm trying to get some logic in my head. I can't get in. And she said, well, let us pray. I, I don't want to pray. Dear God. So I stood up to be nice. We joined hands and prayed, and she prayed and prayed in the Holy Ghost a little bit, and then she left. Thank you. God bless you, and now go away. And I look at and my wife, my wife, who's a very genteel woman, has her hands out and her eyes shut, and she's twirling in a circle like a little ballerina. So I just sat down on the chair and watched her. She twirled for about a minute, just real slow, round and around. I thought, my dad's right. I'm in a cult. I'm in a cult. I've left my Baptist faith, and I'm in a cult, and my baby's dying. My wife's gone whack, and I'm probably just shooting me Jesus. That's just it. Finally, they stopped twirling. She sat down and she looked at me like everything's normal. I said, are you okay? Yeah, why? I don't know. It's the twirling thing. I've never seen that before. The, what twirling thing? She didn't even know she did. 
We go up the stairs. 30 minutes later, Dr. Crouch meets with Georgia. I need to do another spinal tap. Here, sign this. And I said, please don't stick that needle in my baby again. No, sign this. I've got to do it again. So I did it again, and there are three doctors in there. This glass door, tits of care. She's on a cooling blanket where they run cold water in, a, in that little plastic thing you lay on the tube. She's 18 months old. So he comes back out, and here's what he says. And he's got that horse syringe. It's, it's big. It's a syringe. He says, Joe, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, she's still running a fever, still unconscious. But according to the fluid we just drew off her spine, she has no spinal meningitis. She has all the symptoms, but no medical proof of it. It's gone. This is the fluid we drew off downstairs an hour ago. Here's the new fluid. It's perfectly clear. There's no medical sign of spinal meningitis. They kept her intensive care for 10 days. Now, I'm trying to teach you something about marriage. For 10 days, she gained consciousness the next morning. All we did is play praise and worship music. I don't know if God would have its praise. Let's just pray some worship. Get me some worship. Somebody sing to Jesus in here. So we played it over and over. So they came in three days. Well, she's not going to die, but she's going to be mentally retarded. It's done damage to her brain. So I'm sitting there, and I know enough about the Word of God. I'm just, just sitting there acknowledging everything, not saying anything. They left. And all I said was, my baby has the mind of Christ. My baby has the mind of Christ. My baby has the mind. And I just repeated it. Two days later, they come back in. Well, you're not going to believe it, but there's no brain damage. She's going to be fine mentally, uh, but she's going to be totally deaf. It's damaged both her eardrums, and she's going to be totally deaf. So we're going to get her fitted for some for you know, some ear, ear things. And so they left, and I thought, my baby has the ear of the learned. My baby has the ear of the learned. My baby has the ear of the learned. Two days later, they come back in. You're not going to believe it. She's got her hearing back. For 10 days, they kept my baby in intensive care, trying to find something wrong. And every time the cheerleaders from hell would come out, all I needed to do was say what God says. People said, did you feel an anointing? I didn't feel deadly. I'm tired. I'm wore out. I want to go home. I don't know how this happened. How can I keep it from happening again? How do I stop it? All I know is 10 days later, we walked out of there, totally healed, totally whole. Uh, Corey can hear me whisper upstairs. She's got good hearing. Uh, Corey's one of my other daughters. She runs my ministry in Franklin, Tennessee, and she owns my publishing company today. Uh, unless she's got a good mind, she's a journalism major. Now, why am I telling you this? In your marriage, there's always going to be an attack coming from somewhere. You're on an alien planet. Instead of thumb-sucking about it, you've got to find some scripture and start backing that thing off. I'm to resist the devil. He'll flee in sheer terror. You know, because I've had days where I love my wife. There's days, because we teach it, we team teach sometimes. And we'll talk about, you love your wife? Shoot, yeah, I love her. You know, there's some days I don't like her <laughs> at all. I don't tell her. I love you. Praise God. The sun will come up in the morning. And you just try to be honest with people. Y'all are so in love. Well, sometimes. I mean, you know, biblically we are, but... Not naturally. I mean, sometimes, like, dear God, I mean, my God, you know. And you realize you're still human. You still have flesh. You're not perfect. Some days you just had too much, maybe you had too much Pepsi and pizza. I don't know. You might just, you got a sugar high going on. Then you hit a load. You're, we're having to drag you out of the gutter. You know, some days, you ever notice one bad thing never goes wrong? The Bible is called Bills above Lord of the Flies. You always have one good thing happen. Hey, don't tell you about something good happened last week. It was so good. You always have one good thing. You never have one bad thing. You never have one bad thing. It's like, my God, I shouldn't have got up. I overslept. The tire was flat. Transmission dropped out. They rolled me back at work. Dear God, I just should have stayed in bed. Well, that's Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. When he comes, he didn't come by himself. Boom, 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 boom. That's why the Bible says, having done all to stand, stand. That's why marriage is so powerful. What are you going to do? I'm going to cover my spouse during having a bad day. 
And I said, well, dear God, why don't you get a life? What's wrong with you? You shouldn't have done that. She had to say, I don't need to be a cheerleader from hell. We got, they're automatic. I'm supposed to be the cheerleader from heaven. Well, praise God. I believe God's going to work all things out to our good. We're just going to believe for divine favor. I believe tomorrow's going to be better. Praise God. God's mercy is brand new in the morning. Somebody in the middle of hell has got to bring heaven onto the boat. You got to bring it. Somebody's got to decide. We're going to do the middle of hell. I think I'm going to go get me some heaven. Praise God. Now, here it is. This is the great one. I'm going to read these scriptures and we'll, we'll go home. Now, listen, this is called Somebody Talk to Me. You can download all this for free on my website, joebiggieministries.com. These are just scriptures. You can get this in your own local Bible for free. Uh, but I call this, I will think before I speak. So I'm just pulling a short verse of these out. Proverbs 15, verse 2. Uh, some of these are King James, some are NIV. Uh, Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge correctly, but the mouth of a fool pours out foolishness. Father, please help me convince you of this. I don't need to be a newspaper editor for my wife. If what I'm about to say to her is not going to produce something, shut up. There's enough hell on the news, on the radio, on the, without me bringing, my God, you can't believe what happened. You just, if I don't have a solution for it, I don't want to dump it on her like a load of manure. And many times we'll dump on our spouse stuff. We don't expect solutions. We're just trying to dump. <laughs> Here, have a day. And we're not even wanting them to fix nothing. We just want to dump and run. Dump it on God. God says, roll your cares over in him, not your spouse. Well, I'm helping someone. Now, listen, you're going to have to shut that floodgate. Man, this the love's gone out of our life. Of course, you're bringing manure in every day right out of your mouth. It's piled up in every room. Clean your house out. Shut the gate. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth unless it's ministering grace. Now, Denise and I talk about hard things and blunt things, but we're not just dumping. You can't have a dump and run mentality. Look at this, Proverbs 15, 28. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We call this think before you speak. I don't care if it is your spouse. Just because you're married, that marriage license is not a permission slip to say anything to your spouse that hits your brain. Your spouse is still your brother and sister in the Lord. There are rules that govern what you can and cannot say to them. You can't just let it rip. Like, we're going to, well, I need to study. I'm going to think about that. So about Denise, we did, Denise and I both know what we're doing. Like, what are you doing? You say, what are you doing? I'm thinking. Why? Because I'm not thinking anything good right now. I'm trying to get a good thought. Oh, there's one. Here we go. You know, like Proverbs 18.13. Proverbs 18.13. He that answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. Now, this is the men. He that answers the matter before he hears it. What are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to be a problem solver and fix it before you explain it all to me. 78% of the time, men interrupt women. Women have a bigger vocabulary, but men interrupt women three to four times more. Why? Because uh, I, got, I got it. I know what you Shut up and let me finish. Well, I know what you want. Let me finish. Well, I know what you want. No, I don't know what you want. Just get a bobblehead doll and paint your face on it. And let them finish, guys. Let them finish what they're saying. Like, hmm. Praise God. You'll have a good night. Otherwise, you're going to be sleeping on the couch. Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Oh, my goodness. James 3. This is all good. Verse 6 through 10. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. My tongue brings hell into my home. I got to shut it. What are you going to say? Nothing but good. Honey, I think I got an answer for that. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to figure that out. I'll get back with it. We're going to fix this. I'm going to fix it. You said that before. I'm standing it again. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. We're going to figure it out. Otherwise, you get in a ping-pong match. You said, she said, you did, they did. You never, you always, you should have. You never win that. The devil's got you by the throat. You guys, the greatest thing you'll ever do in communication is shut your mouth. Hmm. Praise God. That's interesting. Praise God. James 3.10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, that should not be. Mm-mm-mm. Lord have mercy. i got to learn to shut my mouth. Romans 2.1, I've already quoted, every time you judge somebody else, you condemn yourself or it takes one to know one. Keep your mouth closed. Mm, keep your mouth closed. I like this. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceeds out of your mouth unless it ministers grace. I'm talking to these on the phone. I talked to her again this morning. What are you doing? I'm trying to problem solve. What's your job? Problem solve. Matthew 5.9, I am a problem solving machine. I fix hell. What are you going to do? I'm not griping about hell. I'm not going to, well, they never should have and they couldn't. No, we're going to figure out how to stop that from happening. I'm going to think how to fix this. God's so good. 1 Peter 3, verse 10. 1 Peter 3, verse 10. For he that would love life, well, I do love life, and want to see good days, well, I want to see some good days, let that person refrain their tongue from evil and see if their lips speak no guile. Well, if I want to have a good life, I need to shut my yap. I can't emphasize enough. Greatest thing I ever taught in a marriage seminar, we do these for three days at a time. Shut your mouth. If you don't have something good to say, shut your mouth. Life and death are in your tongue. You're either inviting heaven in your home or hell. Please. Because what we're trying to do is get an upper hand by accusing them and making us feel better. No, I'm here. I'm the bottom of the pyramid. I'm trying to help you. What can I do? I love that. And watch this. Words reveal the heart. Matthew 12, 34. Old generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You know, sometimes you just don't need to talk. Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Proverbs 23, verse 7, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4, 23, Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it the issues of life. Now, I hated school when I went to high school. All I wanted to do was play sports. I went to University of Tennessee for a year. They didn't kick me out. They just wrote me a letter saying I could never, ever come back. Uh, for legal reasons, I don't go into because that was back when I was dead. And so I'm alive now, and I don't have to talk about it. But I learned something. Um, I love to read now. I'm a reading machine. I love to feed on stuff. What are you trying to do? Learn how to live better. I want to live a better life. You know, got my great devotions. I read after good Christian people. You know, I read uh, historical uh, books. Uh, I'm not big on novels. If it didn't happen, I don't want to waste time reading it. <laughs> I want to know what happened and how to prevent it. But I realized something. I want to get better at what I do. So I'm always trying to study better husbands, better fathers, better ministers. I want to chase. I realized something. Smart people aren't chasing me. Smart people are chasing people smarter than them. So I can't wait for somebody to chase me. i got to go chase them. I told my pastor, Willie George, one time, I said, if you ever feel somebody behind you, don't look around. It's going to be me because I'm going to run up your backside. I'm going to chase you the rest of my life. I want to know what you do, how you do it, what you do in your spare time, what you read, how you pray, what you pray about, how you treat your wife, where you go on vacation, how you save your money. I am going to chase you down. If you ever slow up, I'm going to pass you up, so don't slow up. I want to chase you down. 
Uh, I've always loved, because uh, uh, I'm a former Baptist, Dr. Charles Stanley out of Atlanta. I love Charles Stanley. Went up to a rough time, wife divorced him, and people judged him, you know, got mad at him. But I love him, man. He's taught the Word. He's teaching faith better than Brother Hagin did right now, if you ever watch him on TV. And I remember I thought one time, man, I like that old guy. I fed on Dr. Stanley for years. I said, well, I'd like to meet him. One day I just want to meet him. I want to preach at his church. First Baptist in Atlanta. And people say, you're crazy. <laughs> well, it's my deal. Get your own deal. I want it. Well, that was years. Years went by, almost 20 years. Well, last year I was invited to In Touch Ministries, and I spoke to his entire staff. Uh, Condoleezza Rice was there the Wednesday before me. Herman Cain was there the Wednesday after And I was in between, and I felt like in the middle of an Oreo cookie. I was just like, I'm just, I said, could I get them to sign something where Herman Cain signed something? Because just have them sign this and mail it to me. My God, I felt so honored. And so anyhow, I've toured his office and whatever, and so I'm going back down uh, in September doing a marriage seminar for First Baptist. People said, how would they invite you? I've been praying for it for 20 years. I told him I'd meet him. Well, he's old. Yeah, but he's still pastor. He's 80 years old, and I'm going to meet him. I've already been in his office, sat in his chair. I did. Why? I want to. Now, I'm trying to help you something. You'll get what you want. You want a better marriage? You're just trying to get through the one you got tolerated. God said, I, she said, I hate lukewarmness. I'll spew lukewarm out of my mouth. I'd rather you hot or cold. Get hungry for something. Ask God, God, stir me up. Don't leave me where I'm at. Wake me up. Stir me up. Come on. Somebody's bleeding for something. Some people that went halfway through the first grade and got kicked out are bleeding God for something. It's not my GPA. It's not my IQ. It's how much Jesus I got in. I get hungry for it. I like this right here. Soft speech. James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Again, two ears, one mouth. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I got to learn to speak soft. I came from a loud family. I was the oldest of my parents. I was the first kid. I was conceived Christmas Eve of their senior year in high school. I don't have to explain the rest. Anyhow, they got married. And so I grew up with really young parents. My wife was the youngest of very old parents. Her mom and dad looked like mom and Paul Kettle. They looked like Methuselah's wife. I mean, my God, look like your great-grandparents. Like, And so she grew up in a home where everything was quiet. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. My God, my mom and dad used to love to wrestle. Long before WWF, my mom and dad wrestled. Because my dad, little short German guy, my mom, big red-headed Irish woman, and dad loved to goose her and pinch her. And my mom could put him in a headlock. She had arms like Virginia Ham. Put him in the headlock, drop him to the floor. And he'd just wrestle, and daddy just giggle. And so I, I remember I brought my Denise when we were first dating, brought her to the house. I'm knocking on the door, and nobody's open. It's a little bitty rent house, and I thought, what? Is it? But I could feel the front porch. Boom, 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 boom. I could feel it vibrate. Oh, they're resting in the kitchen. Now I thought it, I didn't say it, you know. So oh, they're in the kitchen. Come on. And we rounded the, you know, out of that little living room to the kitchen, and mom's on the floor. Blouse half undone, got dad in the headlock, burn his head, and he's giggling, pinched her from behind. I said, Hey, we got company. And mom, oh, hey, sugar, how you doing? It's just good to meet you, you know. And, uh, and I didn't think a thing about it. I grew up with that. And so we're pulling out of the driveway, taking these back home, and she starts crying. I said, Hey, you okay? Are we going to be like that? I said, You, you don't like to wrestle? <laughs> no, she, she doesn't wrestle. Proverbs twenty seven fourteen. He that blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning to be counted a curse to him. I have had to learn to speak slow and soft with my wife. Joe, why are you yelling? 
I'm not yelling. I'm speaking normal. I grew up in a big family. If you want to be heard, you had to talk loud. Well, we're not a big family yet. So slow down and get, bring that volume level down. Gotcha. Proverbs 9.13, the woman folly. She is loud and undisciplined without knowledge. Learn to speak slow, speak soft, and say something meaningful. Don't just be an editor, newspaper editor from hell. Think before you open your mouth. I'm talking about to your spouse. Then I'll close with this called avoid offensive words, James 3, 2. For in many things we offend all. If many man, any man offends not in word, he's a perfect man. A perfect man, the Bible says, is the person that controls this right here. Control that mouth. How do you do it? i got to control my heart because my mouth is revealing what's in my heart. Proverbs ten nineteen: when words are many, sin is not absent. He who holds his tongue is wise. I like this, Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. That would be a good poster, wouldn't it? And then Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise. He that shuts his lips is esteemed as a man of understanding. Now, I'm hold this up. Uh, Denise and I do this every year. We do it with our kids. I take all my kids on vacation at Christmas every year. It's the only thing I do for them still as adults. And so every year at Christmas we go, but I own them for a half a day wherever we go, and I give them this piece of paper. This is a five-year plan. It's just a chart. You can get this at your local insurance company. And uh, and I realize we, we, we need to talk about our future, okay, because if you're not talking about it, you're not praying about it. If you're not praying about it, it won't happen. And I, that's a whole seminar I do separate. Prayer is critical. You ought to pray all the time. You don't have to light a candle, shave your head, suck rug, hum a hymn. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. But if I'm not praying, God can't move. Jesus, throughout the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, repeatedly said, I know what you need before you ask, but I need you to ask. Why? It's a legal thing. God in heaven is not allowed on this planet. Adam gave it to the devil. Satan, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, is the God of this planet. Jesus is not allowed on this planet. He's not allowed. That's why when he came, he had to be born here. It was the only legal way he could get here. The Bible's a whole story of two men. The first Adam lost it. second Adam got it back. God had to be born here to get here legal. He couldn't even do that until he found a human on this planet that would give him his son through his family, give his son. God's very legal. You understand that's why Silent Night, Holy Night, We Three Kings, Boy and R. God couldn't get down here unless he was born here. I have no authority. I gave it to a human. A human will have to get it back. I must come as a man. Thus, Jesus Christ, Son of God. I got to come get it legally. I can't show up like Superman. And take it back to the devil and hand it back to my Adam. A human lost it. Human's got to get it back. Thus, prayer. What are you doing? Well, Jesus at the right hand of the Father praying for me right now. What's he doing? He's repeating him what I'm saying. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus, I know what you need. Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, hey, blind man, what can I do for you? Peter said, well, Lord, he doesn't have any eyeballs. I'm not talking to you, Peter. I'm talking to the blind man. I know he's not got any eyeballs, but I need to ask him. What kind of... Jesus never, 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 never ministered without first asking, what can I do for you, blind Bartimaeus? What can I do for you, crippled man by the pool of Solomon? What can I do for you, man with a crazy son? Not legal. Prayer is not religious. It's legal. God cannot do a thing for me unless I ask. That's why you're to pray without ceasing. What are you doing? Getting God in the middle of my life. We're out on a hell-bound planet. Angels can't round about me. No evil come near my dwelling. He'll give me sweet sleep at night. Why? Because I've asked him. He'll give me anything I ask according to his will. And that's why you've got to pray. So we'll do this. So let five years. So we sit down and every year we talk about this. Okay, what do we want? Then I keep a list. You can get this from next. Any insurance company will print this off. Uh, this is kind of the original list. 
We'll talk about our jobs. Every how's the job going? We like our job. Do we need to change it? If we don't. I mean, if we do, we need to start praying about it. In-laws. Do we like our in-laws? We don't might want to pray about that. Make some different plans. What about our hobbies? What about our money? How's the money going? Not good. Well, we've got to get it better. What can we do? If we won't talk about it, we won't pray about it. If we don't pray about it, won't happen. Be the same place next year except worse because the devil's in the full-time stealing mode. i got to get a plan where there's no vision of people perish. I'm going to pick that up in the morning. Uh, the guy who was my spiritual mentor, Don Wadley, <laughs> got me in the ministry, going out of Bible school. He looked like Burl Ives' twin brother. Had a bald head, except red hair on the side, a red beard, big belly, and played the guitar. And so him and his wife, he uh, was her second husband. Uh, she was a great lady. She was a seven-time NCAA diving champion in college. Went to seven different universities. Her mom and dad were filthy, stinking, rich Texans and not Jewish. <laughs> he was a former pot-smoking hippie, a flower child, barefoot, tie-dye shirt, bell-bottom jeans, grew his own marijuana. Well, he gets spirit-filled. Satan spirit-filled, gives up the pot, goes back to college, becomes an architect. Never been married. Well, one day her husband's messing around, got mad, did some stuff he can't go into, and he, he divorced her. So now she's raising her two boys. Well, two months after he divorced her, he gets killed in a car wreck. So now she's a divorced widow with two boys. Long story short, she meets Don at church one day. Never married, former pot-smoking hippie who's got his life together. She's a Texan, just aggressive NCAA diving champion, just whippy. And so they get married. And so they're my spiritual mentors. They, they mentored my wife and I. So we're going to Bible school second year, and they invite us to dinner. Now, we don't have dinner. We're having macaroni and cheese, and my mom sends a gallon of peanut butter once a month, and we're living off... You know, you can roll peanut butter into a ball and roll it in powdered sugar and flour, and you can deep fry it in, in pork fat. Just deep fry that thing and get them out and let it drain. You pop those in your mouth, you're crunchy. You won't be hungry for a week. It'll just fill your whole, it'll just swell up in your belly. God, those were the days. Anyhow, we're being invited to their home, beautiful home. They make good money in a gated community in Tulsa. Well, you know, we're taking our three kids down. We're going to go eat a real meal with some real people. So we pull up. I got the passcode to get through the gate. Pull up in the yard. Years ago. My gosh, it's 30 years ago. So we pull up in the driveway, and uh, Don's out front in his front yard. Beautiful ranch-level home. Beautiful home. Got one tree in the front yard. Big tree. I pull up in his driveway. He's behind the tree facing his house. He's bent over with his arm and big belly. Belly is just bouncing like jello. He's red as a bee. He's laughing so hard. And he's bent over against that tree, looking toward his house, and he's laughing. And so I get out of the, I said, because he's always funny. I said, what are you doing? What's going on? I'm getting out because we're coming to dinner. He said, get back in the car, man. Get back in the car. I said, what? And all of a sudden, out the front door of the house came a big pot flying. And I realized dinner's all over the front yard. There's Pots and pans and plates and like, what in the way? He said, get in the car, man. She get in the car. Said, Here go, honey, get back in the car. Get in the car. Now, these are my spiritual mentors. And so I said, what in the world? So, so anyhow, I ran to the front door and I kind of stood beside him. He said, don't go in. I'm just standing there against the door. And all of a sudden, something came flying out the door. She had thrown something else and I go running in behind. This is, this is my spiritual mentor. And she'd run back into the kitchen. Beautiful place. Big tile floor. Well, there's spaghetti sauce all over the floor. And her feet hit it, came out from under, and she, boom, hit that floor. And I'm running there right behind her so she won't throw anything. And the best my God, woman, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? What's wrong, you know? And she starts kicking her legs like she's throwing a fit like a kid. Ah! 
I said, what's wrong with you? Here's what she said. He won't fight. He won't fight. <laughs> now, to shorten this up, what it was, she grew up in Texas. Now, how do you settle stuff? God, you just get it on. That's how you settle. I've been married. You just get it on. Well, he grew up a flower child. He don't fight nothing or nobody. And so I said, so I went and got Denise and cleaned her up, cleaned up the skin. I go back out and just say, what are you doing out here? And I've got her story. What are you doing? The Bible says it's better to live in the woods than with a crazy woman. I got no woods. I got one tree and I'm standing right here. Now, now she's just as guilty as he is because she, he won't, he won't engage her. I said, she's mad. He thought, no, you just don't fight. No, no, you've got to engage one another. You can't solve the problem. So the first thing you'll ever do to fix your marriage, because you're two opposites. You're very seldom going to agree with each other. You are two opposites, but you are a gift for one another. You understand that? So how are you going to do this? You're going to learn how to talk and learn how to listen. Slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to wrath, nod your head, smile a lot. Well, praise God. Well, I think we can fix this. I'm telling you, people said, you're making, no, it's in the Bible, how you talk. Then in the morning, what we're going to talk about when we come back to church, we'll talk uh, some of this in tomorrow night. Money, I'll just give you the 60-second version. Every one of you in here are gifted to make money, or God lied. Any man that does not financially take care of his family, First Timothy 5, is worse than a heathen. I don't care what the economy's doing. God promised me I'm able to financially take care of my family, and I got a boatload of them. So I used to, I used to get mad. I'd just get mad. I'd yell at niece. I said, I was yelling one day. I said, never enough, is it, niece? Just stinking never enough, is it? And she was washing dishes. She's never hardly ever yelled at me. She said, no, Joe, you need to make more money. <laughs> and I didn't even know what to say. I said, I just took the stinger right out. I went, okay, so I got to quit yelling at her for how we make more money. I got to get creative. And so, uh, I'll teach you about that some. It's real good. I will promise you, God has not lied. All of your needs have been supplied. God takes pleasure in your prosperity. Uh, you've got, your needs are met. Well, we got to figure out how to get them because the devil's a thief. Daniel's needs were met, but a demon spirit held it up for three weeks. There is a war going on. God's not holding anything out. I've got a devil trying to stop it. My job is to pray, get thankful, and just start chasing God. You understand? So we'll talk about that some. Kids, God said, listen, children are a gift from God. First time I heard that, I thought, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Dear God, please, quit, quit loving me. Go love my neighbor. You love me enough. I don't need more loving. Well, I'll be honest with you. My adult kids are an incredible asset to me, an incredible asset to me, uh, not only for what they do but who they are. Um, and because I used to get on to them. I said, the Bible says that parents lay up for the children, children lay up for the parents. I said, you owe me. Good measure, pressed down, second together, running over you, old me. And if you don't take care of me and mom and do good for us, I'm going to put a pup tent on your front yard. And I'm going to take out an ark on local paper. Abandoned parent sleeps on child's front yard. <laughs> and I was mad. I was pushing that day. And I told him, I'm not making this up. I told my kids, don't you ever, this is my last statement, don't you ever buy mom anything. Don't you ever buy us anything for our birthday or anniversary or Christmas that goes in a box. Ever. I can buy stuff that goes in a box. You owe me. We've been good to you. We birthed you, raised you, put straight teeth in those crooked mouths of yours. Got you a prom dress. 
taught you an etiquette class, how to sit, talk, put on makeup, sent you to a great school, paid for your college education, paid for a really big wedding, fed a lot of people I didn't know. Had you in a great local church, sent you on mission trips. My kids have been north of the Arctic Circle. They've been Mongolia. I've had kids in South Africa and France. and You've been on mission trips every year. We paid for that. We wanted to. We sacrificed to do that. We believe Jesus forever dying. You owe us. So whenever you get me something, if you have to wait 10 years, you better either drive it up in the driveway, and I want a big Winnebago. I don't want any little stubby things. You laugh, I'm very serious. They know the one I want. And we want to go on a cruise. And they've sent us on two, okay? The next one's going to be an Alaskan cruise. I've already been to the Mediterranean. I want to go on an Alaskan cruise. So you save until you can send us on a cruise, and we want, a, we want an outside balcony, not inside. Now, you, you think I'm exaggerating. So they can't afford it. I know that. But they get to start believing God for it. Because you owe me. Don't you ever give me anything in a box. Don't you insult me. We've given our life for you. We wanted to. God's been good to us. Your turn to be good. So you need to expand your world. And people say, that's just wrong. No, it's not. I think it's biblical. Because if I don't get you to stretch, you'll never believe for yourself. People say, how would you get so blessed? I had, I had no option. I mean, I'm still believing God. You understand? I mean, we've paid up more money for our parents in the last three years than we've paid for our life in the last 20 I mean, I'm, I've chunked in retirement accounts there. We do take care of our parents. Where are they at? Well, three out of the four are dead. They died. And we helped them die, live long life, live good, and die happy. But we wrote a lot of checks for that. Why? I'm supposed to. Parents lay up for the children. It's my job to take care of them. That's my job. It's not whether I like it or don't like it. It's my job. Yeah, I met three doctors last week. cost me a pachunka chunka. We don't. I'm trying to figure out about my mom's dementia. We want to try to keep her normal. You know, I'm just going to lock her up and get her normal. It's just some tests, you know. Man, we're doing all kinds of tests. It's embarrassing. My mom's like, here, take this cup. You got to pee in this cup. Don't come back without something in it. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, I'm going to do things I never thought I'd have to do. And here, swallow this and do this. And, and, uh, and she's a fighter. And I think, and we're winning. It's like God promised all things will work out to our good. But I get to believe God. If you're waiting for it to show up, you're waiting, you're on the wrong end. I got to get out front. We can't do it. We're going to go believe God first. Where's the money? I don't have a clue. We're going to believe God. First, I found, what do we need? This. How much is that? Oh, praise God. Is there another way of doing this? How many ways can we get this? You know, how are we going to do Send your kid to college. How much is that college? Well, that college out there is $70,000. Praise God. Oh, all right. Amen. I don't think if I sold everything I own, I got $70,000. <laughs> how do we get this? You got some free money? I got to, well, I learned that term from a Dr. Muth. Free money. You got any free money? What is that? I'm looking for free money. Because the wealth of the wicked is left for justice. There's free money somewhere. And so my kids carried spit buckets and graded papers and worked on a yearbook staff. What are you looking for? Free money. How'd you do? Got every bit of it. I got $280,000 in college scholarship. I didn't write a check. What is it? Free money. Wealth of the wicked is left for justice. What was my job? Pound the doors. Ask questions. Write letters. Apply for scholarships. Sign up for stuff. I had to do my part. Instead of fishing on the lake in the boat I don't have. God, that keeps coming out, doesn't it? <laughs> I got to get me a boat for Jesus comes. Anyhow, <laughs> you get to believe God. So that's what you're going to do in your marriage. You know why we have a 50% divorce rate? Nobody will fight for anything. You get to fight for it. There was a time in my life I hated my wife. 
I thought she's from hell. I believe that. I, I nobody could make me angrier than my wife. What'd you learn? She's a gift from God. Second to Jesus is my wife today. I love being with her. I love kissing her. I love hugging her. I love even fighting with her when we fight. I love my wife. But that had to, that's something we had to build. We didn't find it. You don't find it, you build it. So let's stand up. I'm going to pray for you. Now, this is sort of an unusual prayer, but I like this. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, you never want to be married again, and we're going to do this by faith. All right? So I'll tell you what we're going to do. Um, we'll start with the men, men only. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. That way nobody's messing with you. Gentlemen, I want you to say this after me, okay? Heavenly Father, come on, gentlemen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I am, according to your word, a lover, a leader, and a provider. Help me to be all and above what my wife needs. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Okay, ladies, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Sets me free, and it keeps me free. According to your word, I am a helper. I'm a manager. And I'm a lover of my home and my family. Help me to be everything and above. That my husband needs. That my husband I thank you for it. You in, for Jesus in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. You've been real patient today. <laughs>